Welcome to the Open to Hope Show in partnership with the Compassionate Friends. I'm your host, Dr. Heidi Horsley, and I'm here today with my mom and co-host, Dr. Goya Horsley. Welcome to the show, Mom. Hi, Heidi. Gosh, it's been a long time since I've seen you. Uh, we just came back from Association of Death Educators yesterday. We and did. And we also met our guests there uh, at the Association of Death Education in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Now, that may sound, a, sound kind of dour to a lot of people, but it's a lot of wonderful people that work in the area of grief and loss, isn't it, Heidi? Absolutely. And, you know, we talk about how to f- help people find help after loss, how to help them heal and how to help them shift their energy. So there's a lot of positive messages that come out of the conference as well. And fabulous mm-hmm. people. Some of the best people I've met are people that work in this field. Absolutely. And we have one today, Heidi. Why don't you introduce him? We do. Um, I would love to. So we're going to talk about finding a new beginning today. And we're here today with Rabbi Daniel Roberts. Rabbi Daniel Roberts is currently Rabbi Emeritus at Temple Emmanuel in Sharon, Pennsylvania, and he has served mm-hmm. as... Cleveland, oh. Ohio. Oh, I'm sorry, Rabbi Cleveland. Daniel. Yeah. Okay. Oh, he, I had Sharon, Pennsylvania. I'm the one that told her that. He's oh, that's where I was. He was okay, there. Where are you Until I was again? too successful and worked myself out of a job. Ah, <laughs> there you go. So now he's in Cleveland, Ohio. And I should have known that because, Heidi, he is uh, the Cleveland's funniest rabbi. He won yeah. an award for that. There he, I love that. We'll have to talk to you about that. So he's Cleveland's funniest rabbi and has served as chaplain in the United States Navy and is co-author of Clergy Retirement, Every Ending Has a New Beginning. And you're also working on another book called The Suicide Funeral. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the show, Rabbi. And what yeah. would you like us to call you? Um, I don't know. Rabbi will be fine. Very good. Welcome to the show, Rabbi. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's great to have you on now. Nice Talk to, to meet us you guys. a bit. Yeah, um, I, you know, I was so intrigued with your uh, new book on clear, uh, retirement for the clergy because you say every ending has a new beginning. And I, I wonder if you could take that into the area of grief and loss. Does that ending have a new beginning? Do you tell people that? Well, in so many words, I do, of course, because every time we have a tragedy in our life, there's it's a new beginning, and who knows what we're going to come out to be. You know, there's all kinds of opportunities. I know a lot of a lot of men who will lose their wives, you know, and it's so devastating. And then all of a sudden they find that they have a whole new relationship with their kids. Mm-hmm. And they're they're talking to the kids like they've never talked before because always before the kids would call up and the the dad would say, Well, here's your mom. Yeah. You know, and all of a sudden it's a whole new relationship. So yeah, one... that's so interesting because I've noticed that too with one of my siblings have died. If you want to connect with your um, your well, when my, after my parents died, if I wanted to connect with my siblings, I had to do it myself because mm-hmm. my parents weren't going to do that. And then I also noticed after I had a couple of siblings die that if I want to connect with my nephews and nieces, I have to do it. Mm-hmm. So there's a real change. That's interesting. I, I thought there's a real different focus. That can be a new beginning, right? A new beginning well, of yep. relationships. And essentially what the book is saying is it's a, you go from one high-powered career to something new, which can be very meaningful for you, and it should be. Mm-hmm. So, I like that idea, and I like the way of looking at this from a, a real strength-based perspective. Mm-hmm. 
So how do, how do you, I know you've been a rabbi for so many years, and how how have you helped people to see that, uh, you know? How do you help them to move? And if I'm listening to this and I'm feeling, you know, discouraged, but I'm, well, you know, I'm connected enough to come on this show, and what do I do now? Well, the first the first thing which I try to point out to people is that they have resilience. Mm-hmm. That God, you know, it's one of the gifts that God has given us. I mean, it is incredible, you know, all the experiences that, or any of the experiences we've been through with dealing with uh, with dying or with death, that we you know we have this resilience. We're managed to pick up and put our our balance back in order. I mean that's the big thing, of course, which happens when somebody in your life dies. Your the whole balance of your life is out of kilter. And getting back in balance, if you could just think of the tightrope walker, um, you know, walking across that canyon. Uh, and and the wind comes along. I mean, he, he loses in one direction. He's got to go in the other direction, and it's, and it's back and forth until he gets in kilter again. And and but he has the resilience to do that. And then of course, you know, I remind people that the the journey of grief is a long one. I mean, grief is the price we pay for loving. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think we, of your tightrope. I'm just thinking of the tightrope you just said, because it's a long rope, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a long ways from the starting point. But oh, as you get closer, it gets a little stronger when the rope gets a little tighter towards towards that end, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It's not and, so loopy in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the way you are—a little loopy in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And you know you're and um, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> well, in, in, well, you know, grief changes and morphs and transforms as we as we go into different places in our lives. It's interesting, and I mean, I, I mean, my brother died thirty over thirty years ago, and and while you know, I'm not in a place of severe pain, I'm still very connected with him in a positive way now. And it's been interesting over the years to see how he's still such a part of my life and, and so impacts me in so many ways. And I think about him, you know, often. And, and the reason I have two children today is because of him. I wanted my son to have a sibling, you know. And had I never had a sibling loss, that probably would not have been as important. So, well, it's brilliant what you're saying. And I hope people can hear it because we don't get over grief. Mm-hmm. You know, it keeps going on and, and something else will come up in our life and we'll go back and and think about it again, and it will impact us. And, you know, in in the Jewish tradition, of course, you have, you know, the memorial every year, which we call yard site. But, um, you know, other religions have them as well. I mean, religion is about dealing with our finitude, with the fact that we are going to die, and, you know, and remembering others. And it's those rituals which help us get through um, whenever we run back into our grief. I have this whole imagery of grief being like a table that you put in your house, a new table. And the first couple of times when you turn off the light, the uh, you bump into the table, and then eventually you learn how to go around it until the night you turn off the light and bump back into it again. So we we keep bumping into grief as we go through life. Yeah, and my mom. You know, I I was thinking I was at the airport, you know, flying back from Minneapolis, and there was a little kid that was just barely learning to walk 
And it was so interesting to watch him because I was thinking about grief, how he got up and fell down and got up again, and sometimes he laughed. And, you know, th- this whole process of relearning, we're almost like babes, aren't we? Mm. Well, we are. And somebody said, what do you do after you fall seven times? You get up for the eighth time. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's a piece of it. That's um, a little more difficult when you're an adult and fall down. I mean, because there are other hazards. But, um, but even if we break somehow, we manage to adjust and um, fix our life. I wish my racquetball game would be that way. But. <laughs> <laughs> so, talk about some of the rituals that you most like that you think can help people, and then I want to ask you about the suicide funeral. Oh, well. Any, the rituals of of bereavement are really not for the person who died. They're really for the people who survive, mm-hmm. and they are really rituals. And I don't care what religion you're in. All, each one of the religions and your your background works towards getting you back in balance. You know, and, and that's a community effort as well. I mean, look at you know the ritual of coming over to people's house and bringing food to them. It says we still care. I mean, the most tragic thing I could think of is you come home from a funeral and there's nobody there, you know. And mm-hmm. and then you then you ask that question, why am I alive? What's the meaning of my life? So being surrounded by community, and, and of, of course most people don't know what to say when they come to pay a condolence call. My answer to that, by the way, is tell them a story about the person who passed away. Oh, I love that. Um, you know how they touched your life and so forth. And, you know, should you do that, then one of three things could happen. One is they'll say, oh, yeah, I remember that, or, gee, I forgot that, or I never knew it. And then, Mm -hmm. of course, the thing that most comforters of the bereaved forget, that's their job, is to comfort them. So if they should tell them something and the person starts to cry, put your arms around them, hold them, and just let them know that you care. Mm-hmm. Most most forget the greatest gift of of it is just your presence. It, there's nothing you can say that will take people's pain away. Mm-hmm. So I, I love that story. And one of the concerns I have is sometimes the medical profession does try to take their pain away when they come in and give them the pill. Oh yeah. Well, a lot of times they, we're we're giving people sedatives too quickly. And not mm-hmm. allowing them to feel the pain and so forth, and that just prolongs the grief, you know. So when people have their ups and downs during, you know, the time afterwards, it's good for them, you know. It's that's what life is. It's the swaying. I love that you say it's good for them. You know, uh, the thing is too. I've seen a lot of people have a nursing background where the, you know they want to give them Valium or they're taking mm-hmm. Valium, and and the problem is that when the when everybody's grieving with you, you're not grieving. Mm-hmm. You know, and then people will have moved on from that acute state, and you won't be there with them. Well, yeah. If you don't do your grieving in the beginning, you're going to do it sometime, and then it's going to be inappropriate because. Six months later, people don't want to hear that you're still grieving for your mother, and that's why you can't do your job. You know, that um, they they just don't want to hear it. At the beginning, everybody will pitch in and help and do for you and so forth. And and then going back to the other rituals, you know, how how is it that you keep hope alive? Mm -hmm. And you really, you know, keep hope alive by the fact that, that even though you've had a loss, 
you're going to grow from this. You still have meaning in life. There's still some meaning that you're still alive. And that gets me, of course, into my vision that, you know, that we all have a job to do on this or multiple jobs to do on this earth. I love that. I love that, Rabbi, because I always say that I have a calling. And mm-hmm. I actually didn't know that when my brother died, and I didn't, I didn't know how he was going to survive or even if I wanted to. And, you know, I read a book called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, and oh, I realized great, yes. it's such a powerful book. I realized after reading it that I had to find my why. Mm-hmm. That, like you said, everybody's here for a reason, and mm-hmm. if I figured out why, the everyday how was not going to be as difficult. But I'm not sure there's only one why. Mm, I like that you know, idea. Mm-hmm. You know, here you're on the radio as a result of your brother. Right. Okay. Here you're still a mother. You got another mm-hmm. why to yeah. do. And, you know, and I will say to to older people who lose their mate, you know, that what do I have to live for? Well, you still have grandchildren. You still, yeah. Your kids still need you. You're still a parent to them. And, you know, two deaths, one right after the other. I mean, I've been through it with people who have. You know, have multiple loss where they lost their mother and father. One I mean, that's that's a double whammy. Mm-hmm. So. I like the idea that there there there's many reasons why we're here. Mm-hmm. You know, and there are, and 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 I I really also believe that one of the reasons is you could teach about dying to your grandchildren and to your family. Mm-hmm. You know, even mm-hmm. though dying might be a long process. You know, we all talk about dying without pain but but dying you know even even with cancer or other forms of it i mean you can teach them how to live and how to right. die absolutely well tell us a little bit about the suicide funeral book that you're writing well and what your the, thoughts are the suicide funeral book is going to be particularly for clergy um as to what do you say and what don't you say like how this. do you not cause guilt in people who already feel guilty, and how do you not cause contagion, which is a big factor in, in suicide, and many people feel that, oh, they got all the attention, I'll get rid of all my problems, you know, maybe I should take this route out too. So we're dealing with 40,000 funeral uh, uh, suicides in America in a year now, wow. and for me that means there's 40,000 clergy you know, having to decide what do I say and not say. And what kind of things do you say? Well, um, first of all, you need to investigate with the family as to their willingness to admit that it was a suicide. Mm-hmm. And then um, to be able to clarify for the whole Excuse community. Excuse me, I would like to say one thing. Rather than admit it is accept, I think. They have yeah, such a hard time accepting yes, it. Yes, yes. That's true. Yeah. Uh, thank you for your choice of words. I you would agree. Um, and uh, where are we? Uh, what what we would say? What we would say, Rabbi? Yeah. What do you think? I you know because it is well, hard you, when you hear you that wanna, someone's. You want to choose words that that the, the people around them were not responsible for what one person decided to do in their life, mm-hmm. um, and they're not guilty. And and suicide. Uh, Funerals are different from many other funerals of, of people who die, you know, from some disease or even an automobile accident because the uh, survivors seem to get caught up in the last moments of the person's life. What were they thinking about? What were they doing? Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, 
it's it's a tough one, and it, it drags on. So what you want to do in the funeral is not make people feel guilty, not make heaven so wonderful that people want to get in line to go there. Mm. Um, and so, you know, there's a chapter on how to do a eulogy and how to make a condolence call. There's um, uh, model sermons in there and eulogies and other perspectives. And and I like the idea of uh, how do we prevent contagion. In other words, how do we prevent others from dying by suicide? Because I know that when I work with families that have a person that has died by suicide, their biggest fear is that somebody else is going to die that way. Well, it, it is a higher a uh, higher risk factor mm-hmm. when there's somebody who has died by suicide uh, because, it's, so to speak, somebody gave permission. But it's also what we forget is all the friends around Mm-hmm. The people. I mean, I'm thinking we're... of teenagers too. You see this, you know. My mom lives in Palo Alto, California, and there's been a high school there where there's been several kids that have all died the same way by jumping mm-hmm. in front of a train, and they had that contagion. And I'm wondering what if you could give us a couple of things that people could do so that to help prevent those kind of things from happening. Well, you you. The best thing, of course, is just to become more sensitive. What are the signs of suicide? Okay. You know the um, the person withdrawing their their change of behaviors or um, giving away possessions. You know all of these say that something's going on. And then for most of the friends around somebody who they notice that they got to break a confidence. They got to tell somebody who was in charge of this person's life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know who has responsibility for it. And of course, then they have to take action too. So those are good points. Yeah, I am. Uh, I, I think your book sounds really interesting, and I hope you will think somewhat. I'm going to figure out how to get you to do something that will bring out to the general public, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, I do things with the compassionate friends, and my concern is I have the, you know, we have a group. Uh, that parents come in, and a lot of kids have died of heroin overdoses now. And um, how you how you help those families not to feel um, different, so different uh, from other grieving parents that are in the group, so that mm-hmm. you know the shame and guilt. And I, I just uh, you know how to help them to feel part of the group, more part of the group. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's all three yeah, sure. parents. Sure. I mean. Yeah. To lose a child, I mean, there is there's little understanding for the pain that parents go through. You know, the you know, a little bit like saying, you know, today is graduation. My kid would have graduated. You know, and yeah. go to weddings of some of the. You know, I'm sure that happened with you, Gloria. That um, when your your son would have gotten married, or you know, all of that. So. It yeah, is. there's all that going on, but then there's that difference for, and I, I don't think we have time to address it on the show today. But sometime I'd love, like to pick your brain a little bit about how can we, as bereaved parents, support bereaved parents whose kids have died by suicide early on. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? And, and say things to them that well, I, well, I generally uh, say to them, you know, eventually it won't matter how they died; it's that they lived. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's the big thing, you know. One of the things I write in the book that, you know, it's it's not about the death of the person; it's about how he lived and and for as long as he lived. Um, and then we need to to um, express that that this person lived a full life. 
And of course, for for anybody who has had a loss, but maybe even more so for suicide, how can parents memorialize and mm. make something good out of it um, from their from their death? And um, you know, the the whole memorialization becomes very important and helping them find them. I love that, Rabbi Danny. So um, we're going to end here. And if people want to find you, where do they go to find you? Uh, where do they go to find you? <laughs> Besides to Cleveland's funniest. Yeah, my, home uh... Cle- my home in Cleveland. So. <laughs> they can go to a I comedy they can club. Find and... you on the Internet. They can see a YouTube of, the, uh, of your uh, little stand-up comedy. It's yeah. great. I was going to say they can go to a comedy club in Cleveland, Mom, to find <laughs> Rabbi Danny Roberts. And where do they get your book on Amazon? Uh, on Amazon, yes. Okay. Clergy well, retirement. Bay, Baywood is uh, the place to get it. Baywood Rabushin is the place to get for clergy retirement. Clergy retirement. Right. Every ending has a new beginning. Right. Rabbi Daniel Roberts, thank you so much today for being on our oh, show. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for asking me. Thank you. It was delightful having you on, and we hope to see you next year at ADAP. Look forward to it. Well, Heidi, an interesting show. I mean, you could just go on and on with somebody uh, like Rabbi Daniel because he just got got so much knowledge and so much, very deep. Absolutely. He's had years of experience. We could go in many, many different directions because he's worked with so many people that have had great adversity and loss in their lives. Absolutely. Well, we want to thank you all for listening to the show, and uh, we hope that you'll tell other people about the radio shows and the support that we want to give you at Open to Hope. And as Heidi, I always want to remind you, if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own, and God bless. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.